Hello again and welcome to episode 7 of the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast. I'm Andrew Bracey. In this episode, I spoke with Melbourne doctor, author and speaker Lucy Desmond, who is spearheading a project titled Beauty Within Medicine. It's aimed at changing the way we teach medicine through a series of beautifully designed and illustrated infographic textbooks that she and her team hope will provide more engaging resources for medical students that also reflects the diversity of our modern society. As Lucy explains during our conversation, um, early on in her own medical training, it occurred to her that the range of human bodies used as the basis for her anatomy education was pretty much limited to, in her words, skinny young Anglo-Saxon males. Um, it seemed to her that a lot more could be done to prepare modern doctors for the much more diverse range of human bodies that they would be ultimately confronted with throughout their careers. With the first text in the Beauty Within Medicine series currently on track to be released, uh, released later this year. Uh, Lucy spoke about how she'd been able to find the time to work on this project, some of the pushback she received um, as a junior doctor challenging the way medical education is delivered, and why she feels it's so important for her to put her money where her mouth is on this issue. Before we get to that interview, very quickly, I need to remind any of you who've not already signed up and booked your tickets for CCIM 2019, that's the Creative Careers in Medicine Symposium, to get over to the website, register today. Uh, it's happening on the 3rd and 4th of August on the Gold Coast. The speaker list just gets better by the week. And of course, there's a ton of other great things going on, um, including a whole lot of workshops, one of which will be featuring today's guest, actually, Lucy Desmond. Lucy will be joining the medical writing session to discuss discuss her medical textbook project, uh, Beauty Within Medicine, and talking about the need to evolve the way we teach and learn. Again, that's CCAM 2019, August 3rd and 4th on the Gold Coast. For all the details and to register, go to creativecareersinmedicine.com. Time's running out, so get on it today uh, if you've got a chance. Um, and of course, you can follow CCIM on Facebook and Instagram. So on that note, uh, on to our interview for this episode, Dr. Lucy Desmond from Beauty Within Medicine. A quick note, unfortunately about 20 or 21 minutes or so into our chat, there's a short burst of some kind of electronic interference that you'll hear. Um, fortunately, it only happens while I'm asking a question, so it doesn't interrupt or get in the way of what Lucy's um, talking about um, in her answer. Um, it only lasts a few seconds, but I thought I'd just flag it. Anyway, this is my conversation with Lucy Desmond. Dr. Lucy Desmond, thank you very much for your time and for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I feel, um, it, yeah, it's a privilege to even be asked, so thank you. No worries at all. Look, your, so your initiative or your project, Beauty Within Medicine, aims to revolutionise medical education by making the training environment or at the very least, certainly at this stage, the resources that we use for educating doctors and other health professionals more inclusive, uh, more reflective of the diversity of our modern societies. As you've said, this runs across any continuum that you might want to identify, whether it's ethnicity, gender, sexual, or, sexual orientation, uh, anatomical variation. Can we perhaps start by um, having you talk us through your own personal journey to this point? Um, it sounds like a lot of the experiences you had in your own training, you've left you perhaps a bit puzzled about what you were being taught, but especially the way you were being taught and, and how much seemed to be being left out. Is that fair to say? And was this something you were maybe discussing with other students at the time? Um, I think so. I think um, I started medicine and 
I think the reason I started medicine was because I love learning. Um, and throughout the process, I'm not sure that I actually realised how conservative our medical education is. Mm. Um, and it wasn't really until I started working in the hospital last year that um, I was at the beginning of last year during my internship at Western Health, which is just wonderful, um, that I realised how socially outdated our education system is. Um, and certainly towards the end of last year, I started uh, realising that I think that there needed to be a change and the best way to make that change was through educating uh, medical students about seeing individuals on a variation, on, like or as variations on a spectrum rather than just seeing them as, you know, abnormal or normal, which I think is the way that medical students are educated, which I think is such a shame because I think there's beautiful that people are beautiful in their variation and we need to be celebrating that. Um, I've certainly had several experiences that were shocking and mm. um, seeing mm. how people have been uh, managed or treated based on the fact that they're deemed to be different based on our societal views. Um, and I just think that society has moved forward and that we're certainly teaching socially outdated medicine and, and that needs to change. And then ultimately, I hope that we start educating people at a primary school level about basic anatomy and also the variation that exists in both our anatomy and sexual orientation and um, the way that we identify in our gender. You mentioned there a second ago that, you know, some of the experience that you had, whether, whether it was particular cases that stuck with you, was there one or, or more cases that, that really sort of helped solidify that idea that, okay, something has to change here because the case that I've just involved, been involved with here is just should not happen. It, was, there, was there one that, that, that perhaps stands out? Yeah, there are certainly, there are several. I think one that particularly stands out for me, I was not actually part of, but um, this the most amazing um, woman, Sally Goldner, she's um, very, very um, high up in the transgender community. She's um, made some incredible changes and she actually told me this story about um, a trans person who called up and tried to book in an appointment at a uh, medical uh, at their local GP and they were told that they were unable to have an appointment because who they sounded like was didn't match their name. So right. because they had a feminine voice, it didn't match their masculine name and therefore the receptionist believed that this was a joke and that they were unable to be booked in for an appointment. So um, I think out of all of the different stories that I've come across, from speaking to people since I've started this project, but also my experiences. Um, I think that that's the most shocking because that just emphasises all of the problems with our medical system and general education of people and that um, we need to be embracing uh, people for who they are and how they, they see themselves and how they feel how they feel the person they are is and, and not put our own unconscious biases onto them and ultimately that's preventing healthcare, which is just shocking. One of the points around that that you've argued previously is that, that medical education is lagging behind some of the societal changes that we've we've seen occurring in recent you know, recent decades but even recent times. There's you've you've said that there's a need for the for the profession to catch up. Why do you think medicine is lagging behind the kind of societal changes that uh, that we've seen in around some of these issues whether it's gender, race, um all, all these kinds of ones that, that that really have have seen some some real progress I guess being made. Yes, I think uh certainly it's easier 
I think that teaching complexity is very difficult uh, and I think it is easier for the medical system to teach students and junior doctors in black and white. Um, medicine, I don't actually think that medicine is difficult to learn. I think there's a lot of content and that you have to be dedicated to learning it. But I genuinely think that we should be trying to educate more people about medicine and not see it as something that's really, really difficult and challenging to learn. Um, but then on top of that, when we are teaching uh, junior medical professionals, whether it is medical students or physios or nurses or occupational therapists, we need to stop sticking with the black and white and we need to start talking in greys and um, spectrum and um, diversity. Um, I think that I – would you say your question again? Well, it's just – yeah, sorry. It was just about um... – why medicine is is struggling to to change that? I mean, you talk about how everything is still very black and white. Why is medicine lagging behind society in, in the way that it's it's sort of changing and evolving? It just seems quite stagnant, almost from what from what you've said. Yes, yes, and I think it also I think mostly um, it is a conservative. Um, it's mostly built the people that are at the top are quite conservative, and I think that that's how they were educated initially. You can even just see. Um, the vulva was only really the anatomy of the vulva was only um, shown in research in the 90s, which is crazy by an amazing surgeon who's actually from Melbourne. Uh, and just even that in itself is quite shocking that um, all of every other part of the anatomy has been mapped out except for the vulva at such a late late period of time. So that's only say 13, 14 years or so 20 years ago. Um, I, I just think that. We are conservative, and I think that um, we've been medicine has been trying to catch up with. We've made leaps and bounds in terms of scientific medical changes and new medicines, and um, just how we approach people in that way. But I think because we've been so focused on um, the research and making advances to prolong people's lives, we're forgetting that you know patients are human beings, and that society has evolved, and we're society has certainly become more accepting i think we've still got a long way to go mm -hmm. in particular due to, um people that identify people who are intersex and people who identify as being non-binary or trans i think that all of these these people are still it's still being lag, lagging behind and that society haven't caught up um with uh integrating these people and embracing who they are mm. um and I certainly think that uh, medicine is even further behind, and I do hope that our project can, even if it, even if it slightly assists this, I think it'll make a great difference because I, I genuinely believe doctors all over the country are, are doing harm um, with a lot of these patients because people are turning up and um, exp expressing themselves and, and their identity, and, and doctors aren't educated about these people, and so they don't know how to approach them in in the appropriate way or mm. not asking the right questions or, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I've, I've been lucky enough to have a little bit of a preview of what you're working towards with these texts, um, the, the Beauty Within Medicine texts. Um, some of the illustrations are really quite beautiful to look at, which is, I guess, the whole idea, um, making it more sort of accessible and, and, and uh, interesting or inspiring. There seems to be a lot of effort going in and thought uh, going into the design to make the, the information and education process a lot more, um, or I guess less crowded, less dense, so there's space to actually understand things a bit better. Can you describe to, to listeners who might be trying to understand exactly what you're putting together here, 
what these techs are going to look like, how, how they're going to work, how doctors in training or, or anyone, you know, even some of our listeners who might be interested in, in, in utilizing some of these resources, how they might um, go about using them and, um, and, and, and what it is that they're, 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 that they're trying to do. Yes, absolutely. So when I was in, I think, yeah, I think one of the greatest challenges about medicine is um, that gap between theoretical knowledge and then clinical application. And certainly when I was a medical student, I really struggled to find um, a medical resource that was suitable for me. I'm a very visual learner and I'm also a tactile learner. Um, I need a lot of colour, but I also needed space. And all of the medical textbooks, all of them, are very heavy, dense, um, just predominantly text. Even something like Wheaters, for example, which can teach pathology and histology, that's predominantly a picture book. But it's still text is still the main component of that book, even though it's all based on pictures, which I just find crazy. Um, so I think... Uh, we also realise because the system isn't catching up to societal change, um, we beauty within medicine was something that um, came to mind for both myself and my husband, Luke Piccolo. We're both the co-founders. Um, and uh, what we're planning, what we are currently in the process of creating is um, infographic high-yield design-driven uh, books, but also digital resources. So um, the primary reason that we're focused on creating tactile books is for those visual and tactile learners. Um, we're very keen to have it, the paper being matte finished so that students are able to write and highlight all over the book so that it is like it day at the books are theirs um, and also I found when I was a student that most of the textbooks are on shiny glossy paper so when you're studying late at night as a medical student it was always there was a lot of glare on the page I right. just didn't ever find medical resources that functional yeah, yeah. as well as practical um, so what we're trying to do is trying to pull in a lot of information from a lot, lot of uh, different areas and that it'll be evidence-based and then create spreads that are both beautiful but educational and kind of um, the main aim is to create something that doesn't have slabs of text. So while it is slightly challenging, um, we've had some wonderful people who are helping us, in particular um, Frank Gaylard, who's the founder of Radiopedia. He has truly been my guiding light through this project. <laughs> um, he, yes, he's just... Um, really opened my eyes up to all the possibilities of things we can do, including um, seeking out eye tracking um, technology so that we can um, make sure that our spreads draw students to the um, information that we want them to in the right order on the page. So these are going to be um, sort of um, uh, physical but also digital resources by the sounds of it? Yes, so we certainly will be, our main aim is to create these physical resources, but then we'll also have the digital resources for the students that would prefer them to be in that way. Right. As well as that, um, we will also be providing a lot of content online um, and through our social media. And the, the, that's our focus at the moment with the um, social media. We're very keen to create a community of like-minded um, medical professionals or, or other people who are interested in the project um, that are keen to create inclusive medical education um, that that is um, also beautiful. And I think that we're able to do that. I think that there a lot of the medical resources that are, have a lot of content aren't aesthetically pleasing to look at. Um, mm. And we just want to focus on um, extract the information that's high yield that the medical student actually needs to know so they don't have that 
sensation of feeling overwhelmed, which I certainly had throughout medical school because there's just so much content. So we just want to pull that all back and, and get to the juice, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people have thought that I'm nuts for doing this <laughs> because I am so junior. Um, so I am doing locum work at the moment at Western Health and they've been really wonderful with um, assisting me to make this project possible by providing me with shifts um, at the hospital. Yeah, I was going to... Aged care shifts there, yeah. Right. Well, no, I was sorry to, to get back in. I was interested, no, you know, because it's, it's a question I like to ask um, a lot of the people that we talk to in this um, in this podcast who are doing sort of, you know, these, these big projects that... Um, uh, you know whether they're um, completely um, integrated and, and linked to to what they're doing professionally, or they're completely separate um, authors, filmmakers, that kind of those kind of people that we've talked to previously. But I'm just always interested to know how how people like yourself find the time and the energy to to work on these kinds of projects. It sounds like from what you're saying there, yeah, that you've had a lot of support from uh, from your your colleagues and and your managers and the people you've been working with to to to, to make this kind of thing possible. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so as I said, I was doing my internship at Western Health last year um, and I very fortunately had a position to start my basic physician's training, which is certainly something that I, I still want to pursue, um, working out when I will do that. Um, might be slightly challenging, but um, it, with time it will happen and I might need to do it potentially part-time. But uh, I approached um, Dr. Sean Fabry and Dr. Stephen Liu, who are at um, – they're at the clinical school at Western Health and um, they facilitated this this for me to make it possible that I could pursue this project, um, my passion project, while also um, supporting me at Western Health and allowing me to take up shifts that I specifically wanted. So I've been focusing on doing aged care shifts on the weekend. I'm very interested in dairies. Um, mm. And, yeah, I just feel like I, don't, I can't say anything more highly about Western Health. It's just incredibly <laughs> wonderful and they're very progressive as well i mm. think um they're, they're um very com- um, inclusive and um, do talk a lot about diversity and i think that they're moving in a very um positive way um and i know that some of the other hospitals might be slightly further behind but um yeah i, I do feel that western health is my home and i hope to stay there for a very long time whether it, in whatever capacity that may be uh but yeah i think People do think I'm a bit crazy that I'm doing this at such a junior level, but I think that it's important that I do it now and Western Health supported me in making that decision um, because I'm close to the content and I remember exactly what I wanted when I was a medical student and I feel like a lot of the resources are produced by consultants uh, and while their knowledge base is huge and um, and they're, they're all incredible doctors and physicians. Uh, I think it's important to have someone that's writing it at a similar level to the people that need it because I remember exactly what I didn't know and what and mm, exactly what mm. I needed to know yeah. for internship and nothing beyond that. <laughs> you talked there a second ago about, you know, the, the, that, that great um, – attitude around um, diversity that you've got in your current workplace one of the the main things about this project is um, as we sort of said a moment ago or a few times there um, reflecting that diversity I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the photography element within this project because it's quite an important part of it the and the anatomy modeling um, that you're getting to to sort of try and help um I guess show that that real diversity. Can you speak about how what what that photography element um, is seeking to do, and, and how you're going about approaching people to be a part of that part of the, the the project? Yes, yes, absolutely. I think that this is probably 
the most exciting part of the project for me. Um, if you look at any of the foundational the foundational medical resources that students learn off, there will always be surface anatomy somewhere in those books. And it's really terrible and tragic to say that that surface anatomy, which is where the anatomy is depicted on a human body, um, is always on a thin, young Anglo-Saxon male. Uh, sometimes there will also be a thin, young Anglo-Saxon female, right. uh, but predominantly it's just a male. Mm. Um, I don't think I realised the repercussions of this when I was in medical school. It wasn't until this project started to come to mind that I started looking at my resources and like, hey, this is not this is not okay. And um, I think it's yeah. So essentially, what we're trying to do is um, we've actually got a photo shoot that's coming up in the middle of July. Right. Um, and we've already got 80 people who have signed up. Wow. And the point of the photo shoot is to have, um, we're going to take nude photos of people from all, all different backgrounds. So we're going to have all different shapes and sizes, um, different ethnicities. We're very welcoming of tattoos or piercings. Um, we've even got someone who's got an ostomy bag, which is wonderful. Um, someone signed up who's an amputee. Um, and we have someone, we have a trans woman, which is wonderful. I'd very much like to have more trans people and uh, more intersex. Um, but right. I'm still, still in the process of actively seeking out people who are interested in in being surface anatomy models for us. Um, and so in within all of the books, we're going to be um, showing the surface anatomy that's relevant for the system. So we'll be creating the Beauty Within Medicine textbooks that we'll be creating will be based on issues, uh, sorry, based on systems. So the first one that we'll be starting with is respiratory. Um, so for that, we will go into the anatomy, but also the surface anatomy will depict the chest wall on lots of different um, lots of different people, which I think is important because uh, I think it can be a bit of a shock when medical students go from textbook learning to bedside learning and realise that half of the population have breasts and <laughs> they might have other things. They might have yeah. other things on their um, bodies that you know they need to work out how they're going to examine them appropriately and also. Right. Yep. Um, in an appropriate cultural way. I was even speaking to an MD1 student yesterday um, and she said that um, she offered to be examined by one of her fellow colleagues in one of their clinical tutorials and one of her male colleagues said, but I, why should I examine her if she's got breasts when I know that all of the people we'll be examining in the OSCE will be males? Wow. Which is yeah. horrifying, yeah. I would think. Um so it's even, it's yeah, we're so behind. We're so behind. And I just think we need to be educating doctors about how to properly examine a wide variety of people mm. and not just, you know, focusing on what's technically depicted as being normal sure. in a textbook. Because this, is, this isn't just like a, a feel-good exercise. I mean, in a talk you gave uh, recently, you made the important point that often, and I think you, you may have touched on it earlier in our conversation just now, that um, often patients might only give you as a doctor the, the answers that you need if they feel comfortable with you as their physician in that um, in that context. Um, this really goes to the heart of medicine. I mean, this isn't just the case of trying to ensure patients don't feel ostracized or, or marginalized or perhaps misunderstood, but ensuring that you as their doctor are getting all of the relevant information um, 
and have all of the relevant skills and knowledge that you might need to, in order to make the diagnosis, determine examinations that, that they might need to have and, um, and then obviously treatments that, that might come from that. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think even beyond that is trust in the medical system. Sure. I think if people feel chronically ostracised uh, when seeking out medical help, help they will not seek it as early as they should be. And um, I do think that that is even happening, like it is definitely happening now. You can even take someone who, who doesn't strictly identify as being female or male. They, might, they identify somewhere else along that spectrum of gender identity with it, and it, it might be non-binary. And I think we still have forms that have a male or female checkbox for gender at most, you know, medical um if you go to your local gp or if you go to the hospital and that is so detrimental because just by turning up and you know putting in their details that's already telling that person that they're abnormal which they are not Mm. and i just don't think that we've progressed it's something so simple like a form that is still so outdated and it's just crazy to think that I, ju- I just wouldn't seek medical help if I, w- if I felt ostracised that often. It's, mm. it's just um, so, so shameful, I think. In the same talk, you also used the example of how uh, the family of, of a seriously ill patient may be initially angry or aggressive, um, possibly even abusive, <clears throat> and, how, and how powerful, you talked about how powerful education can be in a situation like that how quickly people can, you know, their demeanor shifts, they can't, they, they become more calm once they can think more clearly um, because they understand what's happening and why, um, even if the situation or the prognosis um, is still not great. Um, and this sort of speaks to a very broad point that you're making here about really that, that fear that can come from the unknown um, and how we don't mm. or can't make the right decisions when we simply don't have the information or knowledge and training um, to deal with that. I mean, it must be frustrating when you see sort of defensiveness and stubbornness from both sides, from the from the patient side, but also from a doctor's side, start to creep into the way of, of you know getting the the, the the right outcomes for that patient. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, certainly on my weekend shifts, I I come across a lot of angry and upset families, and and it's predominantly because they're unable to attend the bedside during the week. So I'm working mostly on the weekend. Um, and, yeah, I've found that edu- yeah, education is unbelievable. Um, while as health professionals we, sh- we shouldn't accept abuse, um, mm. and I certainly don't to an extent, but I'm, if I'm approached by someone that's very angry, I... You're having to deal with room. that. Yeah. Yeah, we sit down and I just listen. I genuinely just sit there. And, and take it for 10 minutes. And they, I've, I'm not even joking, they always run out of steam in <laughs> 10 minutes. It's unbelievable. So they just they run out of things to say and they just really wanted somebody to listen to them. Right. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy to be that person. And then as soon as uh, they've gotten everything that they wanted to say out, which includes why their loved one is even in hospital, they um, I then list all the points that they've gone over which is often only two or three Mm -hmm. and then I run through how we as health professionals both medical doctors um, nurses and allied health professionals because we are all a team um, will help help get this person you know the the help that they need and and I outline the management plan and it is amazing it really astounds me every time 
that such an angry person can transform in a very grateful into a very grateful and calm person once they actually know what's happening. Uh, I think that this is an issue that's just very. I just think education is the most important thing, and ideally, we really should be teaching people at a primary school level more about the body. I just find it crazy that the general population do not understand that they have a gallbladder or they do not understand that they have a pancreas or they what do these not understand do, that they've got yeah. a thyroid and what they do and how they function. And the only time that they really find out is when there's something wrong with it. And then, you know, I think that that's not okay. I think that we're all walking around with these wonderful bodies that function in these amazing ways. And I think that that should be taught better at primary school level. And I think that people would seek... Um, more prompt and appropriate treatment um, if they did understand their body better. I even, yeah, I've even had a friend who um, had classic appendicitis, the way that she described it, and she's very well educated. And she, in fact, uh, delayed going to hospital because she just thought it was period pain. And then by the time she got there, her appendix had actually burst. Um, and I, I genuinely believe if she had been told about more about her body or she understood how her body functioned I, I genuinely believe she would have gone to seek medical attention earlier is there a space for your resources these texts to eventually sort of branch out or, or be um uh reappropriated in some way if need be um so that they can be more of a, of a general public resource you know whether it's through schools or, or however else um, that could be um put out there is, is there is there a public health or public education element that this project could um could serve Absolutely, and that is my dream. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so that, that is my dream. So I felt that the best way to approach the fact that medicine is outdated would be to start with medical students right. and to educate them, and hopefully that would um, improve as they start graduating. And then my big dream is to then create a book for the general population that educates them about their body and for it to be in an infographic, engaging, visual colourful way that people actually want to learn mm-hmm. um, because I think that the joy of learning has is lost and I, and I think learning is fabulous and everyone should always be learning and I just think there's, you know, there's so much to be gained from learning and then further down the track um, also creating children's books to educate them and then the very, very big dream of mine is to, and this is probably, you know, 10, 15 years down the track in my eyes, is to create school camps um for um, primary school children where they would go to the camp and at the camp they would learn about their bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would also learn about um, gardening and um, cooking from, you know, vegetables and fruits and all of the herbs that they, they have personally grown themselves um, and to learn about mindfulness, uh, to learn about more about depression and um mental health issues and try and remove some of that stigma. I think if we're educating that from a younger age, we'll understand better. And then also while they're there to be teaching them about the spectrum of, um, you know, gender identity and the spectrum of sexuality and, the, you know, um, there are so many things we could teach. I just yeah. think it's just nuts that these things are not taught at a primary school level. And, and then also at a secondary school level, there's so much we could teach there in, in terms of, um, reinforcing that sexual orientation is normal to have different sexual orientation and um, how we can harm minimize 
um, drugs and educate them about recreational drugs and how to use them in an appropriate way. Mm-hmm. Um, if they if that is something they want to do, I think that we can't go around saying don't do drugs because I think that children or teenagers who are rebellious will continue to do them. I think better we can teach them about um, how they can, you know, choose to do them in a safe environment and um, what they can expect what is the reaction that they will get from taking those drugs and when should they be seeking medical treatment? Um, uh, yeah, I just, and also about um, sexual transmitted infections. But yeah, yeah. 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 The list goes on. There's so many things that we could do. I, it just blows sure. my mind that they, no one's done it yet. So um, I'm, I'm trying to make some change. I don't know if it will be me. Maybe I'll inspire somebody else to make change. So as, as you said, you, you're still very early You're very early on in your um, professional journey as well. So it sounds like you've got plenty of time <laughs> still yeah. left to, to, to make some of these things happen. Hopefully. You never know what, you never know what could happen, but, yeah, hopefully. Touch wood. Some of the things you've talked about there um, around how we educate um, young people, especially around drugs and sexual orientation and, um, and these kinds of things, um, that this is all coming from, as we were talking about before, some of the changes that we're seeing in, in the way that we understand and talk about and respect um, these issues and the way we approach some of the, the, the these, you know, if you talk about um, illicit drug use, for, for example, mm-hmm. um, as one. But at, as, as, as we move on, there's, there's still, as we I think we touched on before, there's still a lot of pushback from those more conservative-minded people in our society who... Um, don't agree with with the sort of progress that's being made, the way things are changing. Who who get quickly frustrated or baffled by the kinds of calls that that you advocate for. Things like even uh, being more considered or, or deliberate when we talk about things like gender diversity or um, how we how we um, you know the, the space and the information that we give to, to young people about about drugs. As you were, as you were saying, these are hot, very hot political issues. We see them pop up week in week yes. out. Um, have have you experienced any sort of pushback from you know and the the objections um, that, that that come from from the conservative end of the spectrum about some of these issues since you started this initiative? If so, how do you deal with that? Because I mean, um, if this is what you're trying to, uh, these, these are the kinds of um, attitudes you're trying to um, change or or, or, or or foster more thought about. These are the kinds of people that re- that really need to be hearing your message. How do you how do you deal with that kind of pushback? Yeah, absolutely. I think because we are so early in the project and I probably haven't been as vocal as as speaking on a podcast or um, speaking out to people, I haven't had experienced as much pushback for these um, particular issues that I'm speaking to you about now. Especially within the the medical um, profession as well. Yeah, you would think. Yeah, I I think that the biggest pushback that I've had – is, is about the project in general and the fact that I am so junior and people have questioned, right. but but why wouldn't you continue working full-time or why would you, in what world would you think that you could make a difference um, by, you know, who's going to buy your book when, you know, when you're just a resident? Who are you to be telling us, yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's been predominantly um, the pushback that I've experienced. I kind of, I think... I actually take that those things as a positive. Sometimes people have really important things to say and, and that's great. But if people are pushing back on the things I'm saying now, I feel like, you know, I'm moving in a good way. I think if everyone was very agreeable or if everyone was very anti the idea, I think um, then it probably wouldn't be a good idea. I think the fact that I've got some really incredible people like 
um, Frank Gaylard and um, also Jenny Hayes, who's an amazing anatomist from Melbourne Uni and much loved by all of her students. I think that I've got some of these people that are in my corner who think that this is like the most incredible idea mm. and the fact that I've got these other people that think that I'm nuts, I think that that means that potentially we're actually on to something and, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. you know, that kind of... It's often, it's often the best sign, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm grateful for those people that push back um, and it actually, in fact, it gives me more fuel to push forward and I, um, yeah, I, it just creates even more passion because I think, how come this person doesn't think that there's a problem? Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. I don't understand. There, yeah, there are just so many things that could be changed. But, um, yeah, hopefully hopefully we'll be able to make some change. Um, and, and if we're able to, you know, even something small would be wonderful. It would be a dream. You've um, talked a bit about, in, in some of the material that you sent me in, um, in the lead-up to our conversation today, um, you there was the point that came across around um, how better education resources, the kinds of things that you're trying to, to, to create here, can have also have an impact on the mental health and resilience of, of certainly of doctors in training. Um, I'm trying to, I hope I'm understanding you properly on this one, but um, yeah. so perhaps if you, you can correct me if, if I'm not quite getting it, but, uh, but this seems to have a lot to do with creating a more positive environment generally for doctors in training and in turn sort of fostering a more caring community approach that's less about competition and attrition. Um, I just yes. wonder how, how you know, they, these are things that obviously are, 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 a lot of people are talking about at the moment, you know, just generally. I mean, obviously um, there, there are some horror stories of, of when things and the supports aren't, that aren't right. We just had crazy um, sock day recently, which high, highlighted the, you know, the, the mental um, health component to, to, to medical practice. How, how, how does the medical text and, 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 and these kinds of things, how can they make a difference in this space? Yes. So um, it's probably important to go back to um, how I was when I started and how this idea, I think, could be different. So before I started medicine, I had been diagnosed with depression. Right. Um, on our very first day of medical school, we were showing the 2013 um, Beyond Blue survey of medical students and doctors and showing that the stats of depression and suicide and thoughts of suicide were extremely high compared to the general population. And I went home and told my family that, no, I wasn't going to do medicine because I would certainly be part of those statistics. And, and I was mm. um, during medical school. And a lot of my friends were as well that were vocal about it with me when I was vocal about it. Uh, and that, but there were certainly a lot of other people that I'm certain were affected that didn't discuss it. And I think that the problem is, I personally think, well, the problem for me was this overwhelming amount of information um, that was kind of lumped on. I think that um, also the environment that's created in medicine is one of competition. And I don't agree that that's the best way that we can move forward. I think it is a lot related to the number of positions that are available at a consultant level and getting into programs and the number of exams and that, yes, we are competing all to get, you know, the best marks. But I think that our resources um, are trying to break down that overwhelm. We are trying to get um, – we at Beauty Within Medicine, we, we try to sift through the information and just provide the information that they really need and in a logical way that's very understandable and goes back to the basics with no assumptions of previous knowledge. I think that often 
previous there is previous knowledge. Even that same MD one student that I was seeing yesterday, I said I was doing locum work, and she said, "Oh, what's locum work?" And I just assumed that she would know. And yeah. locum work is casual work. So it's even the language that because we start learning a new language, um, there's I a lot of jargon. Yeah. More, yeah, lots of more senior people just assume that junior people know, and that can make you feel um, uncomfortable or that you can't ask what that means. And there mm. was certainly a lot of time when I was. Um, particularly in um, second and third year in the hospital where people would ask me to do things or I'd be reading notes and you just don't know what the notes mean because they're in a different language. And I think that we need to be teaching that better and just not assume that people know it. Well, essentially assume that the person reading knows nothing, which is not um, to be something that's rude, but more to be inclusive and um, ensure that everyone feels on board. I am... Um, think with beauty within medicine we are also quite keen to create um, a social network of like-minded individuals and we want to help lift everyone up and make everyone feel like they're part of a community together and help each other to learn um, and I'm, I'm hoping that with our books that they will find the joy of learning again which I think is lost and I'm also hoping that because our content has distilled the information, they will feel less overwhelmed and yeah. they'll have more time to do the things that they like doing rather than spending time sitting through all the information, creating their own notes, which is what I spent a large majority of my time in med school doing, which is probably why I also suffered from depression. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, you, you talked a little bit there about, you know, giving giving people the time to, to focus on other things because, you know, hopefully it makes the the, 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 the process a little bit more, a little less, I should say, less um, daunting and, and, and perhaps um, can help them save um, some of that time sifting through mountains of dense text. Um, mm. how, what sort of advice, obviously this is a project, I think we've talked a bit now about where this is coming from for, for you. Obviously you've, this is something you felt quite passionate about that you wanted to do. I just wanted what advice you would give to others who might be wanting to pursue an interest, um, their own interest or project of their own, um, who might feel that, that they don't necessarily or can't, um, afford the time uh, or they might not have the energy how how how, how does, does a person obviously you talk a little bit about how supportive your your workplace has been but how, how you know what advice might you give to other people trying to do something like this um i think that in the medical profession we are a lot of us get on tram tracks and i think that because we're all running in those on those tram tracks together sometimes we don't have the space and time to feel like we can even have ideas or think about different pathways. Um, I certainly, I think for the people that do want to step to the side to do something that as, is as well as doing their training program or they want to step to the side for a bit and then come back, um, I think you've just got to do it. I think you've just got to do it. And um, people will help you. You need to find allies that will support you, like I found um, with Sean Fabry and Stephen Liu initially, who facilitated this for me, I think those people will be there. And um, I think that we regret the things that we don't do. I don't think that we regret things as much that we have done. But if we if we don't choose to do things, I think that's yeah. I think that's when we regret them. So I think uh, if somebody is is keen to pursue their own project, I think you've just got to you know go out and do it. Um, it's scary. Uh, I have moments where I also think that I'm nuts and <laughs> I get scared. 
Um, but then you've got to go back to what was the purpose of doing this in the first place and know that medicine is always there. Um, I don't I don't think that we need to be so focused on, you know, well, me personally, I don't feel like I'm so focused on becoming a consultant as soon as possible. Yeah. I'd much prefer to be enjoying the time that I have on earth, which, you know, it could be a long time, but it could be a short time. <laughs> yeah. And um, by making this, by taking this leap of faith, I've become the happiest person I've been in, you know, decade, like a decade. I just, um, I think pursuing your dreams and your passions is, the, the best thing that you can do and if you are able to afford the time and space to do that then you should absolutely go for it and if not work towards a plan of attack of how you can now you're going to be involved in a medical writing workshop or session at the creative careers in medicine symposium that's happening up the gold coast um in on the august 3rd and 4th um so actually for any i should say for anyone who's listening who's not already um, sorted out the tickets, get over to the website creativecareersinmedicine.com, get your tickets sort yourself out um, what's going to be going in, in um, your session, uh, what can people expect from, from your session I think um, I have never actually seen myself as a writer uh, so I think that my main point will be that anyone can write and I think that the things that we see in medicine um, is Unusual. I think that we get invited into people's lives um, at their most vulnerable moment. And I and I honestly believe that if you got any medical person to write about just a day in the in their life, I think that the general population would be quite amazed with the emotion um, and the life and death situations that they're often faced with. I think that with writing. Um, you just need to be persistent and determined. You need to set out some time um, and, you know, have those goals and keep reaching them. I, I heard um, one of your previous podcasts, um, I think it was Sonia, was um, discussing yeah. about, you know, you've got to write down, I think she said 5,000 words after a shift, which is crazy. As <laughs> yeah. long as you've got something on the paper, then you're producing something and then you can al- always go back and cut things down so I think with writing it's just about getting your thoughts down um, and you know making goals of how much content you want to be creating um, and just even if it's rubbish like at least producing something is is better than nothing (laughs) and there will be gold in there somewhere yes you just got to go digging (laughs) exactly that was for anyone who's interested um that was dr sonia henry that was i think our second episode of the podcast and yeah she her book's coming out um very soon i think in the next month or so i think yeah there's a lot of people that are hanging out for i'm one of them so yeah and actually from a female perspective as well i was listening and um Yes, certainly there have been other books that have been written and it's amazing. They're all written from males. Um, it's just wonderful to see a female that's um, that's written something and it sounds, oh, I just can't wait to read it. I'm very excited. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Lisa. It's probably a great place to leave it. We're looking forward to seeing you up on the Gold Coast at Creative Careers in Medicine in the meantime. Um, have a great day and thanks so much again for your time. Oh, I'm so grateful. It's such a pleasure to speak with you and I look forward to seeing you there. Huge thanks to Dr. Lucy Desmond for taking the time to talk to the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast. 
as I said at the top, she'll be part of the writing session, the medical writing session at the Creative Careers in Medicine 2019 Symposium. So if you enjoyed this episode and um, what she had to talk about, make sure you get along to her session up there. In the meantime, if you're interested in learning more about her project, you can head over to beautywithinmedicine.com where you can also register your interest in the textbooks. Um, You can sign up for notifications about release dates and other important updates on that project. Uh, And finally, of course, if you've not already booked tickets for that symposium, the Creative Careers in Medicine Symposium, head over to creativecareersinmedicine.com. You can register. We'll hopefully see you all up on the Gold Coast on August 3rd and 4th. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're enjoying these episodes, please subscribe. Feel free to spread the word for us. Uh, This has been an Embrace Creative production for Creative Careers in Medicine. I'll be back soon with more interviews and more special guests.